to So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank. I'm your host, Blake Collier, and with me is my charming and brave co-host, Joe George. How are you this fine day? I'm charming and brave. I think we just established that. (laughs) Indeed. Well, today's episode, we are going to try something new. I suppose we could call it a game of sorts. I'm currently naming it Topic Roulette. But if any of our listeners have a better name, then please let us know, because I feel like that's not a very good name. So would Joe, you say that we're we're chatting while doing this roulette? Yeah, this a, I would say. Oh. But but I feel like if we call it chat roulette, that's actually yeah. the name of an app. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we I might know. Get I'm not wearing pants right now for that very reason. <laughs> Is that not what we're doing? No, no. I I mean I mean, who knows? I'm not going <sighs> to tell you if I have pants on or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, fine. You finish the intro, and I'm going to put my pants on. All right, sounds good. Joe and I have listed ten things each that we know something about. And then put them in an alternating list, and we will be randomly selecting a topic on the episode and forced to riff on it for however long we can. So at this point, you should be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with Gross Point Blank? Well, the catch of this game is by the end of the conversation, we will have needed to tie the subject into the film in some way. It will be up to our listeners to decide if we succeed at coming up with a good enough tie-in. So we are going to roll the virtual die and see what we get to talk about on this episode. You ready for this, Joe? I am ready for this. Can I can I add a wrinkle that yeah, just occurred go to for me? It. I think we ought to put a time limit on it. Okay. And and set a timer that by uh you know, whatever time we set, the the person who picked the topic or got you know, mm-hmm. whose topic it was has to tie it back around to the movie beautiful to make a challenge so we don't we we, we don't have an arbitrary sort of time it's now the one person has to drive it to the conversation how do you so feel about that that sounds great how how long right. should we take 20 minutes 20 minutes yeah, yeah. i think we're sounds really good. pushing our listeners <laughs> <laughs> and now that we know that we actually have listeners at yes. least now i'm afraid it was one thing that we were recording into a void and we could say whatever stupid nonsense we wanted now we know people and we're on oh, a network now yeah, we got to be yeah. a little bit more uh, this is gonna be crazy it's gonna be crazy yeah yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna set the 20 minutes uh you go ahead and roll the dice okay and or whatever it is and I will press go as soon as you say the topic. Okay. Number 18. It is philosophy. It's something Ooh. I brought up. So, yeah. All right. I mean, I kept, it, I kept this one generally fairly uh, open-ended because I was a philosophy minor in both mm-hmm. my undergrad and grad school. Um, I focused mainly on, you know, philosophy of religion, um, mm-hmm. dabbled in philosophy of aesthetics, uh, comparative religion, um, all sorts of stuff. So okay. basically I kind of dabbled in a lot of different aspects of it, but, um, I'm a big fan of philosophy. Um, okay. Do you fall, where do you fall on the analytical continental divide? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. Like I, I have people or philosophers that I appreciate in both camps. Okay. Um, okay. The hard part for me is that while being a fan of philosophy, I end up finding myself arguing for its kind of pointlessness. <laughs> well, that's the point, yeah. And and so uh, I I kind of hold this this view that any argument can be made valid and sound depending on the construction of it. Um, 
Okay. Because there's you can you can disagree with the structure of the argument, and you can disagree with the propositions, but there is an argument that could be made for just about every single position out there that is both valid and sound. So I I kind of I kind of came out of academia thinking it's fun to think about, but not terribly helpful. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. I totally disagree with that. Well, no, and I've come back around to some extent, but okay. But I think it's it's a it's a way to like like basically basically push your own thinking, but to like derive any kind of quote unquote high authority from it, I find mm-hmm. difficult. So because I can always find some other perspective or some other argument that I think is pretty good or pretty valid that counters whatever argument I'm looking at. So yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Presupposes that, that the point of philosophy is to win, you know, that that, that kind of sounds like it's a game where, Mm -hmm. um, the craftsmanship of the argument is the primary element as opposed to the exploratory element, mm-hmm. which to show my hand here, I'm firmly on the continental side. Yeah. I, I love uh, Derrida and mm-hmm. Levinas and you know, especially that that group of uh, post Heidegger uh, Europeans. Those are those are my favorite. Oh, you're uh, one Kwame of those people. What's that? <laughs> you're one of those people. <laughs> I am one billion percent. Well, I guess one what? Of those people. I'm a big What's Derrida that? fan too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, my the the my very boring academic monograph uh has a whole giant section uh in which I go over Heidegger and Derrida and Levinas and kind of lay out my thoughts about being. But um, so anyway, what is your the, background the, with philosophy? Just because you're bringing I, up all these, you know, names, and that you had a whole section of your academic <laughs> text that well, yeah, it, it's I, I never, I never took a well, no, I take that back. I took a f- one formal philosophy class in community college at Kalamazoo Valley Community College, uh, but I was an English major, and I was English. Uh, my undergrad is in is in English. I have a master's and a doctorate in English, um, but especially in grad school. I took a hard interest in in philosophy via critical theory, you know, so mm-hmm. critical theory is a valid, quote unquote, valid or accepted, I should say, yeah. uh, branch of study under English and literature. Mm-hmm. And critical theory is kind of sets out as this is how we interpret literature or art, um, but it is very much a philosophy uh, class and so well, and, I, and, and I, that's kind of tied in with with sociology and and all it's just the literary version of it right that's exactly yeah. right yeah and, exactly. and critical theory is kind of notorious for like having a vague like foundation but even the people who study critical theory don't have a like firm <laughs> agreement on what it is is that oh, right no, exactly yeah. yeah yeah and i and and I tend to always take a big tent approach to mm-hmm. to all sorts of things, so I think that's just fine. I you 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 define what critical theory means for you, and then uh, establish your methodology, and then go with it. Don't I, I don't think it's terribly useful to um, try to put up borders around this is or is not an acceptable critical theory. Yeah. So uh, I tended to uh, <laughs> I tended to get uh, interest in. The phenomenology of reading is okay. the uh, wow. uh, uh, 
yeah, in literary or narrative ethics uh, was the thing that interested me. Uh, and so I had to do a quick kind of crash course because, as you know, uh, I always tell my students this. You, you can't really just jump into philosophy. Uh, every philosophical work, with the exception of Kwame Anthony Appiah, I think he's the one guy who does a good job explaining things to people who have never read, you know, the entire canon. But everybody else assumes you've read everything from Plato on up, right? And yeah. they don't take the time to describe it. They just say, well, you know, of course, you know, Hannah Arendt says da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Um, and so I had to really crash course uh, my last couple of years. And, you know. Uh, so let me guess, you you read the whole uh, volume of uh, Will, Will Durant, right? <laughs> I've never read any Will No. <laughs> As you shouldn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did, I did uh, for, my, um, for my exams, I did uh, have to, I did put all of um, uh, uh, Hans George Gadamer's uh, hermeneutics, yep. all of Phenomenology of Spirit. Um, Truth and Method. Oh boy, there's I've one other beast that I put on there and I read them all. It yeah. wasn't That's... pleasant. I've, yeah. <laughs> I've not gone back to them. <laughs> do you, do you feel better having read them? Or do you feel like it's just one of those things that you can kind of say at a cocktail party? I've read that. Yeah. No, because I bring it. I mean, I do bring especially um, the, the Hegel. I bring yeah. up, uh, the, you know, the Lord Bondsman dialectic, I think is incredibly interesting mm -hmm. and is still. Yeah. And this goes back to kind of where I was taking exception with you, um, with, with your claim that it's there's kind of a useless or uselessness to it that I, I totally disagree. I mm -hmm. think. That even something as problematic as Hegel or Heidegger or other Germans, uh, even you know, with their their kind of grossness that can come along with it, um, they do help us think about the way that things are, and and there's there's a value to that. You know, on the one hand, you can argue, like you know, the first I don't know what it is, thirty forty pages of Being in Time uh, by Heidegger is all just what does it mean to be. You know, mm -hmm. and and it, I mean, and he even talks about that in there that most people don't think about what it means to be right. Mm -hmm. He uses the example of a hammer. Most people don't philosophize a hammer; they just pick up a hammer and use it, and that's fine for most people. Yeah. Um, and so I can see how some people would be like, "That's too much." But of course, his entire point in there is, if we're not thinking about these very basic things that we take for granted, then we are just doing them according to Dasman. You know, we're yeah. just doing those according to to the way that everybody else does it, and we miss a chance to properly exist. And while I wouldn't make people sit down and read being in time. I think that's a great point that, yeah, you got to think about the things that you're doing and consider why you're doing them. Not so much to win an argument or convince other people, uh, that it is, or is not important as much as to know for yourself why you're doing them to, to, yeah. to properly exist, you know, and especially, oh boy, I'm ranting, but that's the point of this episode. Um, especially, you know, I was just talking to my wife about this yesterday, that it's kind of comical for somebody who has, who is, a Christian and has studied postmodernism and has heard from conservative Christians for a long time why postmodernism is yes. evil. And I obviously never agree with that. No. Then find those same people basically being postmodernist with making up their own truth yeah. and uh, radically doubting everything and then mm -hmm. falling back on, you know, well, I think this is true because I think this is true. You know, I think this is true because I think vaccines are 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 bad and will control your mind because I think vaccines are bad and will control your mind. You know, and I I, mm -hmm. I don't 
I don't have the ability to read medical journals because who does? Uh, and, <laughs> and I'm bombarded by articles that I don't know how to make sense of. So I doubt it all. And I just go mm. back to, and you know, from a, from a Heideggerian perspective, that's, that's troubling. That's there. There's the first start of that sort of angst that leads to, uh, uh, authenticity there, but yes. it's only the first start. And if you just kind of fall back on that radical, uh, uh, radical skepticism, and that basic skepticism, yeah. um, then then we're in trouble. So no, I think it's incredibly useful. I wish mm -hmm. more people would realize that philosophy is for them, and I wish there was an easier book around that. Yeah, and I think I think for me, my my point was less about the uselessness of philosophy, like as a relative element of a person's daily thought. Like it, mm -hmm. it's, I think it's deeply important for that. I think. Okay. I'm enough of an analytical uh, guy that yeah. that I can I I am searching for quote unquote the authority um, yeah. that by which I can like then like trickle down and and see like these are how I need to like form formulate how I live and how I am and all these things and philosophy was not helpful for that but no <laughs> but at the same time it is helpful in both critically thinking about the beliefs that we hold. Uh, and yeah. I think that's always going to be important. Um, there's always going to be a differing perspective on something. Um, like even when you were talking about uh, the, the idea of vaccinations and, and people not believing them because they don't want to read medical journals or they don't, they don't understand it or whatever it might be. You could also say that there's a Marxist reading of that and that the professionalization of medical, you know, academia it basically was a, a bourgeois <laughs> like oh, sure. formulation but that was basically exceptional like basically uh becoming insular keeping out the proletariat from you know levels of education and and you know attainment of of careers in medical fields and things like that and so you could almost say like while you don't, we don't agree with people who don't believe in vaccinations, we see the trend by which uh, everyone had a part in that <laughs> downfall. Oh, <laughs> oh for sure. Yeah. For so. sure. And, and there's, you know, if we're going to throw it back into, into the Marxist language, then, yeah, there is a... a it's there's always that thin line between false consciousness and class consciousness, yeah. right? Um, that uh, uh, on the one hand, we can definitely say that that it's uh, controlling the sort of the biological power. You know, this mm -hmm. is, <laughs> we're getting very agamben here, but um, uh, the, the controlling the sort of the, the the bios, the biological power of life, um, with this professionalization of the. Uh, or the, the, this class division mm -hmm. of, of of medicine, um, but at the same time, there's no there's no denying that there is a false consciousness that's happening. The sort of the populace with yeah. the spreading of misinformation, and it's also a false consciousness in the sense that uh, the spread of information happens so so well or works so well in the United States because. Um, because in the United States, we believe in that, or we we, we accept that fundamental uh, false consciousness that Marx talks about, which is that sort of individualism. Mm -hmm. uh, I have, as Americans or Westerners in general, we believe that we have the God-given ability of reason and logic that allows us to figure out everything. Mm -hmm. And so 
uh, there are folks who say, you know, I don't, I don't need to listen to a doctor or to even to somebody who has the, the ability to read a medical journal because I should have the ability to read a medical journal because I have the ability of reason. Right. And, and so, and as opposed to seeing how my goodness or goodness is the right word, my happiness and my health is all tied up into somebody else's happiness and health. I just decide I do what's good for me, what's available to me. Mm -hmm. And I am an individual and I am all alone and I get kind of easily then bombarded by this sort of information. And, and, and so I could definitely see what you're saying there. Um, but I would add, this is still another example of that sort of false consciousness yeah. that begins with the individualism. Mm-hmm. Oh man, you are preaching to the choir on that. <laughs> my, for the last five years of my life, individualism has been my mortal enemy. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I've, how are we doing on time? We are at six minutes on the dot. Six minutes on the dot. We have six minutes left. left. Okay. I was like, I was like, that was a long six minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Well, that's, that's what happens with philosophy. It's the long durée, right? (laughs) Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Have you read any of the post-humanist people like, uh, Eugene Packer? A little bit. Like, like, like um, an anthology introduction yeah. sort of thing, like not much more than that. So yeah, take it away. I've, so so I've got a deep fascination uh, with with those thinkers, largely because they they tend to focus specifically on the planet. So what, mm-hmm. what is it to to have a, a viewpoint that is uh, like like the term posthumanist kind of implies? Is that what is it for the planet to be itself without us in it? You know, and so especially within the realm of climate crisis and, and, and various uh, relevant topics today, this is a fascinating kind of move. Um, I don't think it's new. Like, I don't think it's like the next postmodernism or anything like that, but I think it's, right. it's daring to visualize what the earth and the relationship to humanity is uh, and what the earth by itself, what that means. Like, what even is that if we can't quote unquote sense it? or empirically tested. Um, Mm. And so I really appreciate that. And it kind of, uh, I've told many people that, that you and I are both Christians. And Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the fact that I believed in a, a a personal God, I would, I would probably be a fatalist uh, because I, I have Mm. a very strong um, skepticism of quote unquote free will uh, from a biological and genetic and, 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 you know, just kind of a material sense. And so, yeah, um, so there's, there's a point where if I no longer believed in God, I would just be like, it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, yeah. And so, yeah, I, uh, I find that those philosophers that are kind of, that kind of have called themselves post-humanist or whatever you want to, you know, whatever the term they want to use, um, kind of feed into that element. But it also, for me, helps me get a better grasp of what, uh, at least within a theological framework, the otherness or the the quote unquote holiness of God is uh, mm. because it's a it's a, it's basically saying like everything that we view and we perceive is it's tinted through a human filter, mm-hmm. and so even our understanding of God, even our understanding mm. of theology, is tinted through us, and mm-hmm. so their their kind of philosophy is an attempt to kind of combat that and say no what is god outside of a 
uh, filter of yeah. humanity. And so yeah. I, I, I can, I can read that stuff forever and just like, <laughs> find myself like three hours later and being like, I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, because it's you weird. Fell asleep. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> no doubt, which has happened numerous times when I'm reading philosophy. Oh yeah. Um, it's not exactly the most entertaining stuff sometimes. Um, no, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I brought, I bring that up largely to tie it back in. Cause there's, there's an element at the in an end of gross point blank that always, uh, comes to my mind uh, whenever yeah. he's, uh, you know, shooting at Dan Aykroyd and he's trying to you know, save Debbie and, and her dad uh, from being killed. And he, they ask him, like, why he came back. And he says, well, you know, I was I was out on the hill, like the sand hills one day, and I was looking out on the horizon and I saw the sun just setting. And I, I don't know, I just felt a sense of connection, like Yahweh, God, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, in, in my mind... That is kind of an element, although a, a humorous kind of uh, description of a philosophical kind of underpinning I see in that film is that mm-hmm. being is so central to that film and that he's trying to figure out who he is and mm-hmm. he's recognizing that what he does actually is who he is and he's let yes. it become that. And so he's starting to see, like he's starting to, limit himself and see something transcendent like basically trying mm-hmm. to push away his human filter and all the the negative aspects of that and and yeah. see that there's something else out there um and mm. that's changing the way he's perceiving uh his life and that's what we're seeing in the midst of the whole film is that that shift and that that effect it's taking on him um what are your thoughts on that so I, I've got to throw out here that I'm skeptical about the idea of posthumanism in, mm-hmm. in general, yes. um, because I don't believe you can get away from the human filter, nor nope. do I think that's necessarily a good thing. And most, um, of, them, and most of them say that they can't. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. 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 Um, so I would I would add I can see where you're going with that, but then I would also throw in there that that ultimately martin's finding out who he is is not transcendent in the sense of transcending humanity but is rather to be uh enmeshed in humanity to mm, you know yeah. to be thrown into humanity to use the the heideggerian term yeah and so um it it when he finds himself he finds himself by recognizing the responsibility not individual responsibility yeah. but the responsibility and when he that he's trying to evade when he says it's not me uh that He's caught up, you know, his job makes him caught up with with the people that he kills, but also oops, there's our timer. So I'm going to wrap this up quickly, uh, not just with the people that he kills, but also the people that he affects outside of that. I mean, and that's that's the the, the point that it comes yeah. to when he gets to Debbie's father, uh, that that's part. You know, he wants to frame it as you know, what's, what's the line? If, if I show up on your doorstep, probably you did something to bring me there. I'm, I'm botching the exact line, but something to that effect. And then in that moment, he realizes that the things he does matter to other people. The mm-hmm. things the other person matters to, they're, they're kind of all enmeshed. And so while I can see that there is this sort of transcendence here, ultimately in the film, as I think it has to do with any element of the humanities, mm-hmm. ultimately it comes back to the way that humans treat one another. And oh, yeah, yeah. The I could tie that back around to a theological point, but I won't. So well, and 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 I would uh, I would only add, and and this will just be my my final word is uh, yeah. I'll I'll do what my wife always does to me, 
Oh, why can't it be both and? (laughs) (laughs) I will leave it there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's that's exactly the response I I, I usually give her whenever she says it to me. (laughs) That's probably wise. Oh, well, that is everything for this episode. Hopefully you will uh, will have enjoyed this little riff uh, and rant. And uh, let us know if you think that uh, that my tie-in to the film worked for you, uh, if it was appropriate enough and and kind of uh, meaty enough to uh, to really warrant this episode. That's really going to be <laughs> what the what the big game is. Is, is this episode actually warranted? <laughs> You know what? I'm going to say that if you're still listening right now, your answer is yes. Yes, exactly. Either that or like you're doing dishes or something, your hands are wet and you can't press the skip button. So <laughs> in that case, we got gotcha. you. Exactly. You will have grown. It's individual responsibility. You could have skipped now, but you this did not. True. So that's been our show, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank, a film inquiry podcast. If you like what you've heard, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Every bit of feedback helps us do what we do a little bit more. If you don't like what you've heard, well, maybe you're not smart enough to handle philosophy. Ever think about that? Our podcast theme music comes from Jans. You can find more of Jans' work at jansofficial.com, and that's spelled Y-O-N-S. Our podcast outro music comes from Jeff Hansen. Our podcast artwork is from Jeff Wyrick. You can follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at SoGrossPod, and that's gross with an E. You can follow Blake on Twitter at LostInOsmosis, and you can follow Joe on Twitter at JAGeorgeII. That's it for this week, and remember, this podcast is us breathing. Hey, bing, 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 bang. Popcorn. Yeah, whatever. <laughs>